You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Happy Labor Day wherever you are in the United States, or happy bank holiday in some other countries, or just happy Monday for the rest of you out there. Welcome aboard, and it is going to be a great episode of Earth Station One this week. We are going to be sleeping with the fish, and we are going to be talking all about The Godfather. Both the first and second movie should be a lot of fun to do, and we are going to be doing you guys a favor that sometime we might have to ask you to you know, pay back, but we won't get into that now. It should be a lot of fun. And speaking of our godfather of the ESO Network, let's welcome Mr. Mike Gordon to the show. Howdy! How are you? Don't you need more of a raspy voice as a godfather? Uh, yeah, you need, I need to, I, hey, hang on, I need to put the, the cotton in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm that's gonna, actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna podcast. I'm gonna podcast like that. Yeah, I'm gonna part the whole, do the whole podcast like this. Yeah. Okay, okay. If you could only see the picture of Mike Gordon right now, <laughs> he looks like a warrus. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> but, so, yeah. so yeah, so I'm on point. I'm on point. Yeah, you are on point. You are perfect, and. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this one. It's been quite a many years since I've seen it, so catching up with it was a lot of fun. And we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. What are your thoughts on The Godfather? Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. It would be great if you could, you know, just drop us a line, say how things are going. How are you guys holding up? You know, summer's done now. Labor Day here in the United States is usually the official end of the summer. so. I don't think many of us had many much of a summer, though, this year. So it'll be very interesting to do. I want to also give a big shout-out while we're thinking about it to our patrons. That's right. You know, thank you, patrons, for keeping us afloat, keeping us alive, keeping ESO Network going. And a big shout-out to patron Jennifer Adams. want to thank you so, so much, Jennifer, for help supporting the show. And you've taken advantage of being at the $15 level by appearing on podcasts on the ESO Network. And she's been on a couple episodes this season of the Dragon Con Report. So it's pretty darn awesome. And, you know, for as little as 25 cents a week, you too could become a patron of the ESO Network. And we just want to give a big shout out to everyone who has. And if you haven't yet, why not? You're listening to the show. Why not help support us? It'd be a great, great thing if you could. We would really appreciate it. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Simple. Real, real simple, folks. Speaking of simple, our friends at Tifosi Optics, they are doing something real simple and such a mensch move uh, for the month of September. If you buy a pair of sunglasses from them, you know, any pair of sunglasses, doesn't matter if it's gaming glasses, sunglasses, safety glasses, whatever. For any pair of glasses you buy, they will be donating a safety mask to a first responder, a school teacher, a librarian. Uh, it's 
a really, really good thing that they're doing. And Tifosi Optics already has amazing sunglasses. So all you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com, look at really amazing stuff. And they're not that expensive. You get a pair of sunglasses for $25 and you can custom make your own pair of sunglasses to the colors you want, the styles you want. That's pretty, pretty awesome stuff. So, you know, it helps you getting a great pair of sunglasses or safety glasses or gaming glasses and a first responder gets a safety mask. That's not too bad. That's one of the shields that helps protect their whole face. I think that's pretty menchy of our friends at Tifosi Optics and all you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com. And as a bonus, if you put it into the coupon code ESO Network, you get another extra 10% off your order. Folks, it's definitely worth it. Tifosi Optics. They are true menches and great sunglasses. Check them out. And thank you for sponsoring us to our friends at Tifosi. Ah, September is on its way. It's here. And that means Dragon Con. That's right, folks. You've heard us talk about Dragon Con quite a bit, but it's already behind us. It's hard to believe that 2020 is now into its final stretch. Thank God. And it's just great to have you know, Dragon Con behind us. Usually we're really wiped out from Dragon Con at this time, but it was all virtual this year. So, you know, we did a lot. It still with... wiped me out. Oh, well, how many panels did you do over the weekend? Well, not I the, only did. Not, not, not the pre-recording. Not, yeah, not, uh, I mean, I was on six official panels, uh, one of which was live. Uh, all the others were pre-recorded, and uh, and then I took part in some some online uh, gatherings like that Van held and uh, our good friend Van Allen Plexico, as well as uh, some other things. Uh, but um, you know, I mean, keeping up with all that uh, was kind of exhausting. Uh, oh, I could, <laughs> I could understand that. I mean, my I feet did... don't hurt as much as they usually do. <laughs> no, and you didn't have to. You didn't have to run to the hospital. You didn't have to. <laughs> do anything like that or have your car broken into or have to share a hotel room with other people. You know, it's, there's a lot of great things. And my liver literally thanked me for this weekend. So so it's, it's a good thing. I ended up doing seven panels over the weekend. All of them were live. Uh, So we had seven live panels. I moderated uh, five of them, which isn't too, too bad. And then I was on another eight panels that were pre-recorded, including a couple for here on Earth Station One, which you'll be hearing in the next couple of weeks, and also for a couple for Earth Station Who. So we did some great Doctor Who stuff. We did a Westworld panel for the American Classic Sci-Fi, American Sci-Fi track, sorry. Uh, then we also did, uh, for American Classics, we did 12 Monkeys, and we also did Real Genius. Mm-hmm. But we also did a pre-recorded one also of, we did Airplane for their getting ready for the con. Video. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a, and the, yeah. And the American sci-fi classics track did a, a whole bunch of panels leading up to Dragon Con, uh, a quarantine Thursday or something like that. Uh, and they're going to continue to do that afterwards. So um, mm-hmm. good for them. Mm-hmm. So there's still a chance. And the good thing about, you know, uh, this year because there are some good things about this year, as far as Dragon Con goes, is that um, people the panels are easily accessible. Uh, not only are we going to be releasing some special episodes in the coming weeks, but um, 
almost all the panels that we participated in, uh, you can go to the individual uh, Facebook pages or YouTube channels of the tracks and see all the panels, that programming that they did. Uh, my understanding is that's going to remain online for quite some time. So, or as long as, you know, they determine that they want to keep it on there, which is probably going to be for a long time. So, uh, so yeah, you, the, if you missed a panel or you missed the whole weekend uh, or you just want to, you know, check it out, just go to any of the, pick a track, any track. And uh, um, if you want to know what, what tracks we were on, I, I think Mike and I were pretty good about posting all of that. So check that out. Mm-hmm our Facebook pages for that information, or you can just message us. We'll let you know. Um, uh, yeah. And I know that, you know, a lot of people uh, did not probably get a chance to see that 5 a.m. <laughs> track panel that we were on. <laughs> oh, I know. I was just like, why? <laughs> you know, we've complained in the past with Brit Trek that, you know, we've always been up against like a David Tennant <laughs> panel or, you know, a big Doctor Who celebrity panel. And it, you know, Carol said, I can guarantee you will not be up against a big interview. So they put us at 5 a.m. You know, thanks, Carol. We appreciate yeah, well, it. Well, it wasn't Carol's doing, I'm sure. No. Oh, it was not at all. And But but I was glad we were up on the main feed. Yeah, you know? that's the only panel that I did uh, all weekend that showed up actually on the main feed. So uh, I'll take it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know somebody – I I I really wanted to to see it live just to check it out just to see how many people were actually watching it at the time uh but um I woke up at like 4:45 and I thought oh I could I can watch it and next thing I knew it was 6:30 <laughs> so there I, you go I missed it completely I went back to sleep um and uh and missed out on the panel completely so hopefully some people saw it and and hopefully there'll be a chance for that one to be shown as well. Uh, I know that uh, uh, DCTV uh, is offering a special on their year membership for all their streaming content. And that is only $10. Uh, and you can get not only all of the stuff that all the content that was on DCTV this weekend, but uh, um, during Dragon Con 2020, but also past Dragon Cons. And into the future, whatever programming they release throughout the year. So it's a great, great deal. Uh, $10 for a year subscription of Dragon Con TV is is probably the best bargain you'll ever get. Oh, very much so. And it's pretty darn awesome because, you know, you get, you know, three channels still. Uh, if you subscribe to the Dragon Con feed, you'll be able to get, you know, for Dragon Con TV, you'll be able to get the fan track, the live track, and uh, Dragon Con Land channel also, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, Dragon Con Land is a lot of the old stuff, and it is some amazing, amazing stuff. So, you know, before even Dragon Con went live, we had up on our, you know, streaming service we were had the dragon con app on it and it was pretty awesome to be able to watch you know some old stuff and see old costume contests old interviews old panels it was a lot of fun and even the old parade and speaking of parade kudos to dragon con they did an awesome job at the parade this year yeah, you know Judy and i watched that on saturday it. morning and uh that was a lot of fun so did this get uh, Michelle into the mood that she might actually want to come to Dragon Con? 
No, never. She's she watches the parade every year uh, that they uh, show on uh, on uh, the CW, uh, the local channel here. So she's she's familiar with the parade. She enjoys it. Uh, she we had a good time watching it this year. Uh, it was really creative. What a lot of folks uh, did as their uh, video presentation for the parade. I thought uh, I thought it was uh, really well done. Um, and I did take part in watching a lot of panels myself. Um, I don't have the Roku. But uh, my Amazon Fire Stick does have a internet browser app. So I was able to pull up DCTV that way. Nice. And I was able to pull up using, I have a YouTube. Of course, I can stream YouTube on my TV as well as Facebook. So I was able to check out almost all the panels uh, that I wanted to check out um, on my TV, which was great. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you have YouTube, you'll be able to see Mike and I all over it with Dragon Con. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome and we have we just had a lot of fun and i know a lot of our friends a lot of our other network podcasters and just friends of the show were all over the videos and it was neat to see eso have such a huge presence up in the dragon con this year and it's only going to be increasing folks i can guarantee it we've got a lot of things planned that we had originally had planned for this year and we're going to carry over to next year. And I already have ideas going for what we can do for Dragon Con 2021. So it should be a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll be talking to you guys about it as the year goes on. So it should be a lot of fun. You know, Dragon Con I, virtual, I think, was a huge, huge success. I think so. I know that there was a lot of uh, skepticism going forward and some criticism. I mean, almost everybody, including myself. You know, always starts the uh, the the thoughts on Dragon Con this year as being, well, I really, really miss seeing everybody personally. And while nothing can replace that, um, uh, that the fact that they put the show on, uh, the fact that they did so at, you know, huge effort on their part. I mean, huge effort. Uh, the people that are responsible for putting this together, I mean, I don't think they can get enough kudos um, mm-hmm. because it, it, this, is a, this is a convention that it's not like one of those uh, read pop conventions or San Diego. This is not a corporate run convention. This is a fan run convention. 99.9% of the people that are doing things for Dragon Con are volunteering and not getting paid. So um, they put this thing together. Um, and you know, there was a few glitches here and there, but overall it was impressive. I saw a lot of great reaction from, uh, from folks online and social media. Um, I, I will admit that I dipped into the discord, uh, discussions occasionally, but that's not my jam. So I didn't, I, I, but I understand that the discord community was quite, uh, quite active and, uh, you know, it was about as interactive as you could make it. And uh, they they did a hell of a job, and uh, I, I can't give them enough props for for not only putting this together and deciding to go ahead, uh, well, do the right thing first of all, and not have a physical convention, and then going and putting this together. Um, it's just you know, it's it's a really really bright spot in this year of darkness. Oh, it was it was one of my highlights for twenty twenty in all truth. Well, since March, cause we've had, you know, some other things earlier that were pretty awesome. But since March, 
Dragon Con 2020 has been my highlight. And it was a nice little highlight. And my pocketbook thanks me for, you know, not having to go out and rent a hotel room or having to buy food. And, you know, and I'm now stuck with eight gallons of apple pie, which I have no idea what I'm going to do with. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, take care of that. We'll take okay, care of that. Okay, okay. Uh, we'll Just, take it. We'll have that. Well, no, that'll be no problem. Okay. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to everybody who stopped by the virtual marketplace uh, that DragonCon set up. Another thing that they did that uh, was great, and they didn't have to do it, but they wanted to help out the uh, always the attending artists and and vendors that show up at DragonCon. So they had a virtual marketplace. Uh, I made some pretty good sales, um, and I am so thankful for that. Um, so, cause Dragon Con is one of my biggest, uh, is the, my biggest selling, uh, convention or event of the year. So it was nice to see that, uh, that, uh, still continues. And, uh, for everybody who stopped by, purchased something, I appreciate it. You have my gratitude and those orders will be in the mail this week. Awesomeness. So definitely would love to hear from you folks at home. What are your thoughts on Dragon Con Virtual 2020? Did you guys enjoy it? Did you not? Did it fall flat? Or would you want to see more content come out of Dragon Con? Not, it doesn't even have to include us. Of course, we'll try to be there. But, you know, there's so much stuff they could be doing throughout the year. And Mikey, does that also mean if they continue, are we going to have to do a Dragon Con report all year now? Well, you know, it might uh, be something that we look into. So, you know, definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back in a second with The Godfather. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Imagine, if you will, it's the summer of 1981, and the two biggest things in the world are the Star Wars franchise and Arena Rock. And for just a few weeks in that summer at the start of this crazy new decade, there was a rock band unlike any other that you could catch at only one place on the globe. The Space Stage in Tomorrowland, underneath Space Mountain at Disneyland. Their name was Halix, and they were Disney's uh, bid to capture the uh, teen market and those two biggest things in the world. And of course they did it in just inimitable Disney style. Um, The bassist was a fur-covered beast that was seven feet tall, and oddly, everybody called him the Wookiee. The keyboard player wore a robot suit and sat in a motorized cart that was uh, looked a little bit like a one-man tank. Uh, there was a dancer and acrobat as the second percussionist uh, wearing a latex lizard mask that did uh, uh, acrobatic stunts during the show. And um, quote-unquote, the singer and lead guitarist were basically Leia and Luke if they were played by Pat Benatar and Billy Squire. What more could you want? Don't you wish you had seen this? Well, now you can, because there is a documentary called Live from the Space Stage, the Halix Story, and it's playing for free on YouTube. 
It's a full 80 minutes, and it captures all of the Halix story with the performers, the executives, the writers. Disney, you know, they don't do anything by halves. They hired professional songwriters. They hired the best professional musicians they could find to get this concept together for just that brief span of time that it ran. And it is a fascinating story that you're going to want to catch. And uh, hopefully that documentary shows off the poster that they showed at Disneyland. Because trust me, if, you, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know this poster. The one thing that's so amazing to me reading about this is for an entity that nowadays is so jealously protective of its copyrights, it just really had no problem stomping on everybody else's back then. Um, but it's a fascinating story and uh, something you're going to want to check out. And uh, if you're a cosplayer, you might get some some cosplay ideas for next year. Who knows? It might be it might be a trend at Dragon Con when they get it uh, back in person again. Uh, again, that is, that documentary is called uh, Live from the Space Stage: The Halix Story, and it's on YouTube. Uh, I'm Michelle. This is the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we'll catch you next time. What's new on the 42 cast? Let's ask my co-hosts. We're talking about Doctor Who. Comic book shows and movies. And we're talking about all things Star Trek. <laughs> and so much more. Check us out on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. It's only on the 42 cast. Your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So, Nathan, when are we finally talking Babylon 5? What do you want me to do what I beg you to do? Now you come to me and you say, I'm Corleone, give me justice. You come into my house and you ask me to murder me. I ask you for justice. That is not justice. They want to get mixed up in the family business? You got to get them close like this. Bada bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Give him one message I want, Solazzo. Now that's all I want. We go to the family. Some of the other this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. It's not personal. It's strictly business. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth Station One podcast. It is now time to get on your suits, join your family, and time to talk all about The Godfather. Well, you know, Mike, you made us an offer that we just couldn't refuse. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we are going to be talking all about The Godfather 1 and 2. Uh, and uh, this 1972 is when the first one came out based on the best-selling novel by Mario Puzo. Of course, these are uh, direct, all directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, we have with us our movie crew. Ashley is here. Hello. Always a pleasure to be back. And yes, and, and, and Alex as well. 
Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> are we talking about that one? We're talking about no. that one. <laughs> no, no. Are we talking? I don't remember actually right now. Wow. One of the most yeah. famous quotes of all of the whole franchise. And, and, and yet We're nobody not can remember talk about where, it, where no. that came from. Uh, uh, I have no idea where it came from. Nope. <laughs> I've never heard that before. It's from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> uh, is it from Bill and Ted 3? I don't know. Um, all right, so let's get into it. And of course, Alex, we'll start off with the box office numbers. How well did Godfather do? Uh, tremendous. Tremendous. <laughs> um, it, it actually, uh, for domestic box office in 1970, 72? 72. 72. Uh, the year I was born. This was, uh, this was my movie. Um, the Godfather pulled in $135 million with... 134 million overseas. So in 1972, this movie pulled in almost 300 million dollars. Wow! And what was the budget on it? Uh, Eight dollars. No, um, <laughs> yeah. it was a seven million dollar no, 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 budget. No. We it, it starred Marlon Brando. We know no. it was more than eight dollars. <laughs> it was enough to buy him the Rolex that he wore in Superman. Yeah, the budget. What it says here? What uh, seven point two million. million? So yeah, yeah, you probably accounted for six million of that. Uh, yeah. no, just... <laughs> bullets, bullets accounted for. Uh, I also see here where uh, the television rights were sold for a record ten million to yeah. NBC for to show it over two nights. The first one, anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean that's huge in and of itself. Well, both are yeah, really crazy. long movies. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I watched these through uh, Amazon. I rented them, and of course, mm-hmm. with Amazon, you rent them and you get them for a forty-eight hour period, and that was just enough time to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> these Directed are by... <laughs> these are long, and Amazon does have the uh, Coppola restored one. Uh, nice. So yes. They they, nice. they look beautiful. Uh, they look yeah, gorgeous. Directed by Coppola and edited by. Um... By uh, um, Peter Jackson. So. <laughs> the extended. Well, cut. What do you mean? Peter Jackson looked at it and said, I could beat that length. I can make I that really longer. Can. I can <laughs> make that longer. Exactly. You know, this uh, movie's missing elves. Um, <laughs> well, it was awesome. In the second one, they actually, at the two hour mark, they actually break for an intermission. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, that's true. I was kind of surprised. It was like, I was like really? Wait, they didn't yeah. do that? Well, that was actually um, common for a lot of the films uh, early on. Films like Spartacus, uh, Sound of Music, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, Even Mad, 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 Mad World did. You remember? Yeah. It had yeah. an intermission. Yeah. True enough. Monty Python right. and the Holy Grail. Look, they had an intermission. <laughs> Seemed odd for a 90-minute movie, but... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things are odd about that one. Um... Ashley, so let's start with you. What was now? You had seen the first one before, correct? Correct. So, but so going in, what was your impressions regarding the first one and the saga overall? Well, I think I watched the first one back in 2014 as part of one of my Better Late Than Never blog series. In case those listening aren't familiar with that. It's an ongoing series I've done over the years where I take classic movies that I've just never got around to watching and then watch them and see what my reaction is as a new viewer. And The Godfather just completely blew me away. The interesting thing about it is that it's not one of those movies that I'd be like, oh, yeah, 
I'm going to love this mob mafia movie because that's not really a genre I'm into at all. But the movie is just so well done and such a piece of classic cinematic art that I think it almost transcends its genre. Even more than a mafia story, it's a family story. It's a legacy story. And the acting, the plot twists were just incredible. And I feel like the second one, which I watched um, for the first time just a couple of days ago, fits very well within that. And I kind of like some of the prequel elements a part of it. I think prequels can be really hit or miss, but I enjoyed seeing some flashbacks, how Michael's father sort of started the family destiny and then how they all just kind of keep getting trapped in this cycle of violence and power and can't get out. But it's so fascinating, a great movie. I'm sure we could spend hours upon hours talking about this and all the interesting things to pick out of it. So I'm looking forward to digging into it a little bit deeper here. Yeah, we'll do see what we can do. Obviously, yes, I'm sure whole podcasts have been devoted to this uh, this saga. Uh, Alex, what's your history on on The Godfather? So, uh, aside from seeing clips and everything on uh, on television, I actually hadn't seen much of The Godfather until the year 2000. Um, my wife and I were very big in trivia, and a lot of times the guy who ran the trivia that we went to the most would throw out a Godfather question. And being a movie person, not having any knowledge of The Godfather was a real fumble. And uh, Tally and I had started dating at the end of 2000. So for Christmas, she bought me the uh, DVD box set of The Godfather and said, uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this together. So we we did. Um, And... um, Three weeks later, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Came out of our holes, just, you know. Anyway, uh, no, and and as Ashley so aptly put it, um, art. Mm-hmm. This is a movie. If you wanted, if, if someone were to sit there and say that cinema can't be artistic, you show them this. Um, this is a movie that has as much love for its characters as it does wanting to gun them down um, and just murder them. Um, It it shows a family doing all the wrong things and you can't help but root for them. No, Um, very much so. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to look at some of the things in it uh, with, with kind of a cynical eye uh, and even riff on it. But the fact remains is that there are some stunning, stunning scenes all throughout the films that just make you, all you can do is just sit there and shut up um, because you are witnessing greatness. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that it's filmed and because of its timeline, it hasn't aged. Mm-mm. This is a movie who, <laughs> eight years later, um, is absolutely timeless and is as effective today as it was in 1972. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mike, what about you? Well, this was interesting for me because th- I had seen the first one probably when I was a teenager and man, it was long then. And I was like, even like, 
but I was fascinated by it, especially you saw, you know, and we'll talk about this. I'm sure you saw Michael Corleone's evolution in this from a very innocent war veteran to knowing he knew full well what his family was, but not being involved with the family and being pulled in and having to run the family, you know, being forced into running the family and being able to, you know, run it more, almost more deadly than his father did in a lot of ways. It was really interesting to see the second one though, this was the first time I saw it in this form because they put out a couple years ago a version of The Godfather that was in chronological order. And oh, wow. I, I, didn't know. I, yep, I saw the movie that way. So it was mixed between the first and the second together. Man, you want a long movie. You had a very <laughs> long movie. Yeah. But but it in some way because I know some people got very confused with the second one from them jump, jumping from back into the early 1900s back up to where Michael was in the late 50s, and it was just very interesting to see um, that story. And I I actually enjoyed it more in the original form that they had it, and. It was beautiful. The cinematography, I cannot wait to talk about that in this movie. Shots were almost like painted canvases in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was just awesome. This is uh I mean, it, there's no question that this is uh a classic and one of the best movies, American movies or best movies ever um uh ever made. Um, it's just, you know, the, you can, you can question whether or not it's your cup of tea, but as far as, you know, an Im- having an impact on pop culture, having an impact on movie making, having an impact on studios, having an impact on everything, having impact on mob movies. I mean, there were movies about the mob way before this, but this really is almost definitive and it's it's depiction of how mob movies are like i think it was only after this one in every mob movie the uh italian uh like the italian mafia wants nothing to do with drugs like this is the first time where like drugs are completely almost off the table for any like you know um mafia italian mafia family and 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 i think that started with this movie i think that started with this uh um I first, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I know it wasn't in the theater because I was way too young for that. Um, Maybe saw it on TV. It was one of those movies, I think, that much like my experience with watching Deer Hunter, they were shown on TV, but yet they were edited. But, um, you know, they were edited format because they were on the TV. But so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't full widescreen. It also didn't have a lot of the R content, but it was still powerful. And I think it was the first time I can recall seeing a movie that had a disclaimer on it saying that kids shouldn't be watching this. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen it as much as I uh, respect it. It had been a long time since I'd actually seen these movies. So uh, it was great to, to revisit them and, uh, and revisit them. I think, 
you know, the first one I will acknowledge is a great work of art. As far as the uh, second one goes, I have mixed feelings about it, to be honest with you. I think it's a great work. Uh, I think there's a lot of great things about it, but there's some things that I, that don't work as well for me. Um, Interesting. So um, uh, I know they're both Oscar winners. It's the only time I think a sequel has ever won uh, an Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, Return of the King. Ah, that one did as well. So okay, it was, gotcha. this was the first one, though. And they're both, the, oh, yes, right? it's the only time that both have ever won Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to throw this out there because I know we don't want to talk about it, but I did rewatch the third one as well this week. <laughs> uh, I had I saw it in the theater. Uh, there's initially. a third one. Wait, there's a third. Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. Shush, shush. Because people are going to ask, why are you not doing the third one? I so I watched the third one as well because I watched it in the theater initially. I don't remember hating it, but I don't remember that much about it. So I wanted to watch it now because I figured after watching one and two, uh, the third one, if I don't watch it now, I'll never watch it again. I'll never watch it, rewatch it. So I said, let me just watch it to see. Um, And I will say, I don't think it's terrible. Um, There's some aspects of it that are, Problematic is a word that I don't like to use, but there's elements of it that are problematic. And which wait, which part did you find uh, problematic? The incest subplot, <laughs> or the fact that Bridget Fonda's character vanishes without a trace? I didn't worry about that. Yeah. I didn't bind that because I didn't really appreciate her character at all. Anyway, okay. Uh, so <laughs> when she was or, gone, I was I like, didn't like I, her. So that's yeah. good. Oh, good okay. riddance. Uh, well, um, Sophia Coppola's lack of acting. No. But I will say that yeah. I, I will say that. It's it's gorgeous. Uh, maybe the most gorgeous of the three movies as far as uh, the, the filmmaking of it. And uh, um, there are some elements that, like I said, I, I did. I, yeah, it's got a subplot with the Pope Ed, that just makes no sense. <laughs> so I, I do rec- I do I do not recommend people see it. But I will say if you do happen to watch it or want to watch it or curious, it's best to watch it after the first two. Because yeah, but remember, were, folks, th- tonight we're not talking about the third. This is just the first and second movies. I know. So let's the, keep on uh, going on that, Mikey. It, it does it does um, have elements that uh, um, in it that like it does refer to the first two? Which when I first saw it in the theater, I didn't get at all. Like I didn't get that stuff at all. So there's connections there that you know, if you want to find out what ultimately happens to Michael. That that you have to you have to sort of pay that 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 demon fare. So uh, oranges. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, all right. So the first one, I mean, we can mix it up. Talk about the first and second one as well, because uh, it's you know it is one big epic saga. Um, yes. And it's sort of hard to you know relate. Um, the first one is full of iconic moments, right? I mean, you know the the um, even though you know it's coming. The, the horse head scene is still brutally shocking. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, brutally shocking. Like, I was, I, 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 yeah, I knew it was coming. And yet still, I was, I was insulted that I was having to watch this. It was just, it's, it's so violent and ugly. The violence in this movie is, it's horrible. Ugly. Like, it, it yeah. really is. It's brutal. There's a sense of realism uh, with all of the way that this is done because of the fact that, I mean, the way that it was filmed was just straight up ugly. And, you know, in the past, you know, before this, <clears throat> most of your gunshot stuff 
was uh you know you're in your mobster movies your your public enemy uh your uh uh top of the world ma all those uh little caesar was the other one was the other one. um what were, were things where you know you'd see a guy pull out a tommy gun and just and just you know shoot up the place in this one it's it's handguns and it's right on you Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with, with the exception of Sonny Corleone, that was machine guns. Um, oh, big time! Well, the machine guns also that they when Michael's uh, room was attacked with his yeah. wife in it was yeah. all machine guns, also. Yeah, but but for the most part, everything was was either handguns very close up or a lot of hand to hand. With especially with Sonny, Sonny was mondo violent. Uh, no control, very clearly not the best uh, successor uh, in the family. And I think that's one of the, one of the big things about this is that, you know, at the beginning of the movie, it's apparent at the beginning of the the whole saga, it's apparent that Michael is, is not the one to be in the family business. And Vito wanted to keep him out of it. Dad's yeah. That's pops uh, uh, uh edict was that he didn't want him involved. Um, and it was the corrupt police and everything that kind of brought him in, uh, you know, beating him up and everything simply because of who he was and who he was related to. Um, and, and that I find fascinating uh, in a storyline like this because without that, Honestly, the Corleone family falls apart. Um, maybe taken care of by by Tom Hagen, uh, played wonderfully by Robert Duvall. Uh, mm-hmm. But I kind of get the feeling that without Michael, either Sonny takes it takes over the business and is ruthlessly murdered at a uh, toll booth which by the way, made me nervous every time I drove through 400 until those were gone. Um, or, uh, or, or Fredo and Fredo was so willing to sell out at a moment's notice um, pretty much throughout both films. Uh, I just can't see a way without a Michael of the family even surviving. And it's, it's, it's telling that Michael makes these sacrifices for his family and mm-hmm. yet doesn't want his wife to ever ask him about the family business. Nope. It's it, oh. what I found. Go ahead, Mike. No, I thought it was interesting though. Cause you're exactly right, Alex, about Michael, you know, he was supposed to be go off, live a normal life. He quotes. was the innocent. He was not supposed to be involved at all with the family. That's what Vito's wish was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when Vito learned that Sonny had gotten killed and he went, my boy, my boy, I think he was mourning partly for Sonny, but also he was worried for Michael at that Mm -hmm. scene also. And that's what even makes it more powerful and everything and it was just and it was heartbreaking because you had michael who was sent off to italy to you know hide from you know to keep for the press to die down for the police to die down on him and he fell in love with a woman there and she was killed because real quick (laughs) 
Wow. And everything. <laughs> you knew it was coming when you saw her in the yeah. car and everything. You knew. And it was just like, and she was, she was awesome. You know, it was like, and the, how they showed that the, the lightning bolt between the two of them, that was so well done. Yeah. And everything. And you felt for Michael and you, you really got into that. Michael was totally, you know, he was being drawn further and further into it. And then when he had to go, you have to come back to America. Your father needs you. He's been, you know, type thing. And from there, the rest of it is his descent, you know, into the family. He makes that, you know, uh, Michael's interesting. And look, there's not, you know, you want to talk about a movie where there's not too many uh, characters that you want to hang out with because there's a lot of like despicable people uh, there's very few despicable people, even the people that you want to feel sorry for you also like there's times where you just can't stand them. And that's true of the Corleone, Corleone, uh, Corleone family. Right. Yeah. Um, Michael seems like he's like this, you know, the good one. Um, but, you know, through the course of events, we find out that eh, he's got some, some issues as well. Um, which once he gets to power, we find out like, okay, he's really, yeah, he's really got some issues uh, that um, it would have probably come out eventually. You know, like I think, I think to me, once Michael makes the decision to take the meeting and kill uh, the the guy who put the hit on his father, as well as the corrupt cop, played yep. I forgot it was Sterling Hayden. What yeah. oh, amazing, right? Um, uh, once he makes that decision and tells everybody he's going to do it. I'm like, that's it. He has decided that now he is part of the family and his destiny is set. And he knows it. He knows that's what he's sacrificing. Um, and I think that's why, you know, when he, he, he gets rid of uh, his one girlfriend in America and then goes over to Italy, he embraces Italy. He embraces Italy and he embraces it, I mean, literally and figuratively. <laughs> like, you know, Um and and he knows when he's going to come back. You know, it's it's going to be all it's all his. It's all his. And nobody else. You're right, Alex. Nobody else could run that family. Yeah. Uh, the other two brothers are useless. One's a hothead. One's just uh, airhead. An idiot. Uh, An idiot. <laughs> sure. Right. And uh, I think one of the most complex characters is uh, is actually Connie. Like she's. I don't. I'm. I. I go back and forth whether or not I'm I feel sorry for her or I can't stand her. Yeah, yeah, I, she's definitely a character, especially if you and we're not talking about it. But if you include the third <laughs> film, um, there's definitely times when you sit there and go, uh, I don't know about her. Um, uh, Carlo was just awful uh, from the very beginning, um, and the. Uh, uh, wedding between the two of them uh was fine uh she winds up coming home beaten up sunny decides to introduce carlo to the sanitation industry and i say that because he beat the man with a trash can um uh that's, and, which that's a nice way to put it that's a yeah, nice way to put you know uh over the first time we watched it that scene came up i'm screaming ecw my wife my, my girlfriend at the time is punching me in the arm um <laughs> But uh, yeah, and then of course, you know, from that, Sonny gets to meet his. Um, 
it's 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 crazy the uh you know just the hyper violence the lack of i mean you there's really nobody that you're supposed to like um maybe maybe k <laughs> maybe k maybe k um, because i mean again like you said like the moment he went to italy it was just like my past life is over yep this is where i am now um, you know, your stuff is messed up when you're being turned on by fish. Um, <laughs> it's so obscure reference that Ashley's just like, what? Uh, Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda. Um, uh, and he still look, he looks the same wherever he goes. Totally. Abe yeah. Vigoda never aged. In this, this is, movie, no. he was 19. <laughs> this is, <Yeah>. this is <laughs> pre-Barney Miller, right? Yeah, this is pre-Barney Miller. Oh, this yeah. is yeah, way pre-Barney yeah. Miller. This, this is pre, this is yeah, pre- sitcom. Pre-Barney yeah. Miller yeah. by at least four or five years. Yeah, I would yeah. say I would say 76, 77. But I do recall yeah, even the good. first time I see it, saw it, because I didn't see it till later, obviously. Yeah. I was, like, I was like, oh, it's fish. And I'm like, what's fish doing? Like, <laughs> I had the exact same moment with Godfather 2 when Bruno Kirby showed up. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not prepared for you know, <laughs> Billy Crystal's best friend to mm-hmm. to be a part of the Italian mafia in, in New York. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this movie's amazing. And there's so many great stories behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the cat that was in the... Uh, was in, uh, Cor- uh, uh, Vito Corleone's arms uh, was a stray that wandered onto the set and uh, not planned for the film. Um, Luca Brasi fumbling his lines in front of uh, Vito was an absolute blooper. It was a flub. And Coppola loved it so much that he then turned around and showed a scene, uh, filmed a scene of him practicing the line at the wedding. Right. Uh, just that, little that things just, like yeah. that. And that was so awesome, him sitting there, just, and everyone was watching. Why is that man talking to himself? And, and then, then you come so... around to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, t- uh, take the gun, leave the, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli, is an ad lib. Um, because the line was, take, uh, was leave the gun. And, and the guy was just like, yeah, we, we probably want something to eat. So he says, take the cannoli. <laughs> and so that's just like, it's just a line that's thrown into the film. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. one of the most iconic in the movie. Uh, that and, you know, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. Um, I think this is... Um, Which kept on coming back and over and over. Over and over and over again, yeah. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's funny, I, I think... I think a lot of times Hollywood uses the Godfather specifically as a dude movie. It's a movie that all guys like, you know, um, and it's not one that's talked about uh, for women. And it, it probably has a lot to do with the, the way the storyline is handled and everything like that. But like Ashley pointed out, it's a movie about family um, and absolutely one that, one one that I think is you know appropriate for both genders and the you know and and, and one that I think gets improperly separated. That's definitely um, your cue, Ashley. Oh yes, <laughs> thank you for the entrance. <laughs> she hasn't spoken in twenty minutes because I won't shut up. No. <laughs> um, 
I think, yes, this is definitely a movie that defies an easy categorization. And if I had to define it, I would call it perhaps the great American epic tragedy, because in some ways it's kind of a dark reflection of the American dream, because you have Vito immigrating to America. It's supposed to be this land of opportunity. And that if you just work hard, you can get ahead. And of course, we all know it's far more nuanced on nuance than that. And there are barriers to success throughout history. And it's never that simple. But in some ways, the family is able to achieve that. But they have to pursue it through violence and illegal means. But in some ways, video is kind of like a little bit of a vigilante, like he's taking out this guy who's roughing up the neighborhood and extorting from people. So he's almost a little bit of an anti-hero. So it is just incredibly complex. Like others have said, it's hard to root for these people, but it's also hard to not root for these people because you see the challenges they have gone through and overcome and how some of the prejudices of the society they come to is looks down on immigrants so they kind of have to fight their way to the top so it's just very fascinating to see how if the family had been brought into a more welcoming environment if things could have gone differently because they are very intelligent they're good at running this mass business operation so it's just very interesting to ponder what might have happened if this story was not a tragedy. And it's kind of interesting to compare this movie to other great Hollywood stories. I know that I talk about Star Wars far too much, and I'm not going to take us down too much of a rabbit trail. But one of the things that struck me as I was getting ready for this podcast is how much it is a family saga in some ways that Star Wars is. Like you have the Skywalkers again and again and again falling to the dark side. Like regardless of how you feel about the prequels or the sequels, it's just a story of generations struggling with the dark side and falling into the same mistakes. And that's really what the Godfather is about too. Michael tries to get away, but he's pulled by this magnetism back into the family business. And could he have escaped was just the fact he was born into this family did that automatically lock his future into stone like this is what he's going to have to do someday so I just find all that just so fascinating and again it's it's a work of art that transcends it's one I think that every person should see if you're a film fan I uh well said I I particularly love the tone that Coppola and crew uh, set out in this movie. Um, I love the fact that each one starts with a festival of some kind, a celebration mm-hmm. of some kind. Um, uh, there's, you know, it, it, it's so, and it may be stereotypical, but it's so Italian that I couldn't help, but like, you know, in the mid, like, like in the middle of the second movie, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to have some Italian food. I just need some Italian food. And sure enough, the you know, while I was watching the second one, I had ordered some Italian food because I just couldn't I couldn't go on any further without. I mean, it's not like food's a major part of this movie, but it's in there and it's and it and even when it's not there, it just feels so authentically Italian. Um, there's, yes. there's a moment oh, in the God, movie yeah. in which they they spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, there's actually a scene in uh, the first movie where they are instructing on how to make spaghetti for what yeah. was it 11 people 
Yeah, that's true. Something like that. Like you're gonna have to know how to do this. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just sort of like this, this is rite of passage. But again, it's one of those moments where you know a scene like that is a bonding moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it, it that and you know scenes of taking your older brother out on a boat. Um, <laughs> let's go fishing. These are bonding moments. Yeah, you know? let's go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's uh, again, you know, I mean, what what can we possibly say that hasn't been said about these this series? True. The uh, the other thing about the tone in this movie is that there's a tension everywhere, every time. Like no matter what, no matter like you always feel like at any time there could be gunplay in the living room. There could like somebody could be shot, somebody could die. That somebody could you know explode um it i mean literally and figuratively it's like it's yes there's there's tension in this movie and so it's a long like you know three hours and some because you're you're tense throughout the entire time you never yeah. know when it's coming and when it comes you're still surprised at how brutally violent it is um and there are times when they give clues uh, throughout the first movie, I think throughout the second one as well. Anytime oranges make an appearance, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. something bad is about to happen. And as good as you know, after after Coppola makes these, the the mafia baton movie wise is sort of transferred to Scorsese, right? Who takes it yeah. and runs with it, right? I mean, he makes several great mafia movies and is known as that's what he's known for right and they're all great works in of themselves i don't mean to diminish them in any way but and they're they're really violent but there's there's you put it you you put it pretty well when you said there's a realism to this violence that's not there in the scorsese movies i don't oh even as far as when Vito killed the don and he had his arm wrapped with the blanket or mm-hmm. the towel, how when he was firing at him, it caught fire from the heat of the bullet coming yeah. out. That's yeah. how real it was and everything. And it was awesome. It yeah. really, really I mean, it was wasn't awesome. sensationalized. It wasn't, yeah, no. it wasn't cartoony. It wasn't, I mean, a lot of these, you know, death scenes become really like iconic and are, you know, are referenced many, 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 many times <laughs> later on. Uh, but I do find, uh, I do find that, are there, um, any other sort of characters throughout this, um, that, uh, that you find compelling? Like, actually, I'm really, conf- I'm really interested in what you thought of, you know, cause Alex made the point about it not being uh, a man's movie or a guy's movie, but what did you feel about the, the, how the female characters were in this? So this is one of the movies where, Yes, when I watch it, there's not a lot of female characters, but I also consider the context of the story being told. And within that situation, it makes sense that they would, the characters would keep the female characters on the periphery. It's not the right thing to do, but it made sense within the story, if that makes sense. And I thought Kay was a really interesting character about just somebody that's on the outside and being brought into this family and keeps trying to turn a blind eye. I mean, the closing scene of the first movie is just incredible when she realizes like kind of her heart sinks, like, Oh, 
her husband is full in on this family business right now. And just the stress that puts on her. I mean, like we said, you could never be at peace. Like once you have joined this family business, you're a part of this mob family you will never escape. Like you could, it could be 10 years down the road and you're looking over your shoulder and there's someone standing behind you with the gun. Like you will never fully be able to escape and rest. And I think that would be a very difficult uh, world to bring up children in. And something that I also appreciated with is that uh, interesting about Michael's character is that he was a good father to his children. I feel like he was interested in them tender with them even and I think that they could have easily swung to the stereotype oh he's just a tough guy and doesn't care about his family he was only interested in violence and power but he does genuinely care about his children but then that care kind of gets twisted around and that he's willing to commit these acts of violence but um yeah, so I thought that the female characters that were included were interesting. And then also just the great respect put on the matriarch of the family, the mother, in that Michael actually doesn't kill his brother until she was gone. <laughs> and he keeps his word on that. But just out of his incredible respect and his love for her, not wanting to be more pain. But as soon as mom is gone, like Frito's days are numbered. So I, I oh, did yeah. appreciate seeing how much he respected his mother and did not treat her dismissively. So I feel like the female characters that were in this movie were used well within the context of the story. It was interesting though, last night after we watched the second one, Judy kept on asking me, do you really think it was right that Michael got the kids from the wife? And I said, this was the 1950s Mm -hmm. and which one of them has a lot of money behind them Mm -hmm. and possibly has a whole criminal organization behind it. Well, exactly. (laughs) But, but, but also he probably had a judge in his pocket. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it was fairly easy for him The scene, you know, when she came to go, you know, spend time with the kids and everything at the end, you know, you got to get out of here. Michael's coming and everything like that. You know, he doesn't want, obviously he doesn't want to see her and everything. And then, you know, she hesitates, you know, to get a chance to see him. He slams the door in her face and everything. That was just so powerful and everything. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, just like, the, wow. Uh, um, I think the, the ultimate irony of this saga is that for a, a group of people who claim that family is the most important thing to them, it's the hardest thing that they, 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 they struggle to, to be, to, to, to control or to, to be able to, um, you know, foster a good family. Like the, the fathers in this, they, they're, they seem to be well intentioned and there's a lot of love there as Ashley pointed out. Uh, There's a lot of love that Vito has for Michael. There's a lot of love that Michael has for his kids, but ultimately it doesn't mean anything because they don't back it up. They don't like, Mm -hmm. they, they don't make family important business. You know, how many times do we hear it? It's not personal. It's business. It's not about family. This is business. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. business comes before family. Unless you betray the family. And then, yes. you know, and then it's all you're no but, usually, but usually you do that for business reasons. Yes, but, you know, like with Frito, mm. you know. Yeah, Fredo, Fredo did it Fredo, out of jealousy. 
Yeah, Fredo Fredo did it because he wasn't the one in charge. You know, he you know in the yelling match he had with he Michael, did it because he was self delusional. Oh, like, of course, like he for was. him to think that he was he should ever be in, considered in charge is he was a Corleone. Yeah, he was a Corleone. I mean, imagine imagine growing up as Vito Corleone's son with an older brother like Sonny. Sonny, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Sonny's an alpha. Sonny <laughs> walked around like he was an alpha, and then you're Fredo, who, first of all, worst name in the movie. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, the horse had a better name. Um, and then along comes Fredo, and imagine growing up with an older brother who takes care of everything. You don't have to worry about anything, and then you're going to get replaced by your younger brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fredo totally believed every, that he had every right to be doing whatever needed to be done for the family business. Well, exactly. Fredo basically, you know, Sonny was the heir apparent. Sonny was, you know, he was walking on water. He knew when his father went, he was the one who was going to take over the family. Yeah. And he, he, everyone was fine with that. But, you know, Fredo was a slime ball. Fredo was, you know, the one who, you know, took care of the prostitutes and the girls, as they like to say, and the gambling. He, you know, that was, that was his job. And that's all he could handle because he didn't have the know-how or the will to be able to control a family. And stand up to Michael until like midway through the second movie. No, exactly. I mean, we don't, we don't even know that, I mean, we kind of sense it, but we don't know that he wants that until then. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and you knew he, you know, when you figured out that he was the one who betrayed him and, you know, when they were in Havana and it, that scene, you know, you know, you betrayed, you know, and when he was like, oh, that was just you awesome. broke my heart. You broke my heart. But then the scene at the, at the mom's funeral, you're dead to me. You know, you, I, you are no longer my brother. And it was just like, wow you know it was just it was just amazing yeah i mean it's all or nothing um it really is and um my okay so my 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 i don't want to say issues but my feelings about the second one are a little mixed i think uh i don't while i found the prequel uh stuff interesting I didn't see how it directly connected with what was going on with Michael. So it felt uneven. There were times when, and it's so long between segments that sometimes you forget that, oh yeah, there's another, like it, there's another part of the, the prequel part of this movie. Now we're going to do that for like, it felt like an hour and then we're going to go back. Um, also the subplot with Havana, I just, it doesn't work for me. Um, I just, it's not that interesting to me. Um, it, it, it's very, um, I don't know, maybe it's, I guess they wanted to make it of the time, but it, it really shows that Michael's not a great businessman either. Uh, I mean, here he is investing all this time and, and, you know, risking the family business, working with people that he shouldn't because he, he feels like this thing in, in, in Cuba is going to happen. And then when he gets down there, he feels that he, he understands the situation is a little different. He tries, but it's too late to back out of it then. And it ends up costing him everything really almost. Um, so 
um, it ends up costing his brother, him, his brother. It ends up costing him his family, um, his wife, and, and to an extent, his kids. Um, and uh, I think ultimately, you know, it, it leads the way to him going, trying to go completely straight, uh, which we see, you know, in the not mentioned third movie. But, um, uh, you know, I just I just didn't find it as compelling as a lot of the stuff that uh, was in the first movie. It's it's funny that you say that um, simply because a lot of people indicate that they believe that Godfather Part Two is actually superior uh, to the original Godfather. It's a lot of times you know people talk about those lists where the sequel was better than mm-hmm. than the original, and you'll hear things like uh, Empire Strikes Back and Last Jedi. And then I slipped that in, um, and then uh, and you then had to go there. Part two. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna will, get emails. Don't worry. I will defend <laughs> it to the day I die. Um, but but then they mention uh, Godfather two as being uh, superior to to Godfather uh, Part one, and I I don't know if I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, I I can tell you from the box office standpoint, uh, the original is far superior. As Godfather Part Two only did fifty-seven million, um, which was almost a third of what the original did. Interesting, because yeah, you know, with this, with the second one, I found because this was this was the first time I watched it in this form, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, and I didn't find the jumps hard to follow because you know, it's a trope in modern t- movies and TV now. Right, them right. doing you know jumps around. This and is everything. pre-lost. I oh yes I know Pre-pulp. yeah exactly but it was just it was interesting because I I found the character of Michael extremely strong in the second one extremely strong the whole scene with him testifying in front of Congress and was amazing that whole scene and then for them to bring the guy's brother in from Sicily you know, to get him from talking, that was just, it was so wonderful. I was, I agree with you, Mike, about the whole thing about the Cuban revolution, but it tied in perfectly because people were thinking, you know, it was a haven for the rich and famous of the United States up until the revolution. And it was just very interesting. You know, nobody took it seriously until it happened. And a lot of the business people didn't and i understand you know if he would have stayed back and would have sent one of his emissary you know emissaries or something like you know if he sent um his lawyer you know over there to represent the family it would have been an insult to the other people of who were he was doing business with they wanted you know he kept on saying you remember he kept on saying your father and i ran the maple syrup up to Canada or, you know, the molasses, sorry, up to Canada. And, you know, he kept on referring to his father. So he was, you know, trying to see if Michael was going to live up to his father's shadow and everything. And that was a lot of what this movie was about was living up to, you know, him living up to his father and seeing if he could surpass it. Yeah, I I get it. I, I just don't think it was, I think it was clunky. And, uh, but I will say that the set pieces were interesting. I mean, all that stuff in Havana was really interesting to watch. I just didn't feel as it was as relevant. Um, 
and I will not diminish the the acting of either uh, in these movies at all, and any of the movies, even the third one, Al Pacino. It's hard to argue that this is not his greatest work, and that's saying something. But he because he has a lot of great work. It's not like you know his role as Michael Corleone is up here, and then everything else like space bar, space bar, space bar. No, no, there's some stuff that's like right up there as well. But his his depiction of this character and uh, De Niro, you know, playing a young Vito, you know, obviously you can every once in a while you see where he's sort of channeling Brando a little bit. Um, yeah. But he still tries. He still makes it his own. It's a great performance by both those actors. They're so charismatic uh, to have both of them in this movie was a uh, a huge boon. Um, and it's we have to wait uh, like what two decades before we actually see them in a scene together <laughs> in a movie. But um, uh, I mean, it it it's it's magic. Those guys both command the screen like few others. I had a little issue with you know De Niro as a young uh, Don Corleone. I d- I didn't see it. I really didn't see it. You know, I because but it might be also because we're used to seeing De Niro in so many different roles. I saw De Niro. I didn't see him eventually evolving into you know the man we saw in the first movie. A lot of times, the strength of the script forces that. It's very difficult sometimes um, when Glenn Close is in a movie. I can only see Glenn Close as Glenn Close playing this character. Mm. Uh, whereas someone like Tom Hanks seems to slip into roles. Or uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, becomes the role that he's doing. Tom Hardy. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Another, another one, one that just like you. Yeah. It's like, that was Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah. That was really good. But yeah. De but there are, that but there are actors that like, like, De like De Niro. Yeah. Uh, that just kind of show up and it's like, Oh, it's Robert De Niro. Even, even, uh, even, uh, uh, Al Pacino now. Um, I love any given Sunday. It's my favorite of all of, uh, um, Oliver Stone's works, uh, that and talk radio, which is real obscure, but, um, uh, I, I love, I love any given Sunday, but there's not a doubt in my mind when I'm watching that movie, I am watching Al Pacino. Um, because he doesn't sink in to the character. Um, Is that after Sin of a Woman? Because that's when he sort of yes. becomes a cartoony. Yeah, like, oh, that's, oh, yeah. yeah. very yeah. much so. Uh, after uh, after he hooahed his way to an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, um, all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's Al Pacino in a, in a, in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, thankfully, oh. this was after, uh, after Son of a Woman, but before Jack and Jill. Um, Whew. So, I'm glad you didn't include Dick Tracy, though, because you know. Um, but yeah, I you know I thought De Niro. I thought De Niro. If they were going to have anybody play young Corleone, De Niro is the only choice, simply because, well, one everybody else is already there. You might have been able to bring back <laughs> James Con. You you might have been able to bring back James Con, um, since obviously he would have you know wound up siring a child that looked a lot like James Con. But um, the the fact is is that I you know De Niro really was the only one that right. could had that had the the acting acumen to carry the load of such a character. 
Um, and at the time, he was fair, he was very new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he hadn't been in a lot before this. Yeah. For him so, to strike this role, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it it made sense for him to to have the role. Uh, it was crazy to think that Pacino and De Niro were in this film together and had no scenes. None. And uh, it was the it was the diner scene in what heat. Yep. Yeah, it I was think their that, first time together. Yep. So, well, that was the big thing about Heat was like the two of them in the same movie. Pretty much the mm-hmm. only big thing about Heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they didn't even film together because they didn't like each other. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, number two is it, it is a little more jarring because of the jumps, uh, and you have to readjust your way of of watching it. But again, it, at that time too sequels were not common you know continuing these stories was kind of unheard of i mean we'd already seen the story of michael corleone um godfather 2 gave us the entire family story the history of of Vito and his rise to power uh as well as michael maintaining it um all while dealing with backstabbing family members so I just thought that was kind of an amazing thing to do. And it was a bold move because if they had tried it, if anybody else had tried it, I don't think it would have succeeded at all. That, that could be, that could be, I mean, like I said, it, it compelled me through the movie. I mean, I didn't hate the second one, but it just, to me, it follows that trope of so many franchises where the, you know, we've talked about it last week, actually, where the first movie is awesome Second movie, not says my awesome. Third movie is really not, you know, like it. There's a, you know, there's a, de- a degradation that seems to happen among a lot of franchises as they go forward, uh, unfortunately, with very few exceptions to that. There's some, obviously, and I'm grateful for those. But, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's really, and but I think it's really interesting to see this as a complete saga. I would have. I am. In, I would be interested to see it recut, like the way Mike shot, saw it, where you see the De Niro stuff first, and then you see, you know, the the, the first movie really in its entirety, and then you see the second half or the the half of the the third the second movie, uh, so that uh, you know you get to see it in order that way. Um, mm-hmm. That would be that would be interesting. Um, any other thoughts on the saga as a whole, uh, Ashley, as, or, you know, the, the, the two parts that you've seen? Well, before we wrap up, I just have to mention the iconic music in these movies. Ah, please, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. You have to. It's, yes. Even before I'd ever seen The Godfather, like I knew the theme song. Like when you hear it, it immediately sets a mood. You know what it's talking about. And it just like carries you through this movie. There's an epicness. There's a sadness, there's a sense of history, tradition, legacy, weightiness to it. It just like perfectly captures what all this movie is about. And it's one of those movies where the music is almost, or actually, yes, I think it is just as important a character as the actual characters of the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. The score itself, as well as the choice of music that Coppola chooses uh, throughout the movies, what the, you know, with the, whether it's uh, the, um, uh, the celebration scenes, you know, the, the wedding and the, and, and all of that. I just, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like anything's out of place. 
Absolutely. Not a, not a single note out of place. Uh, Alex? Um, I, I just love the in-depthness of this, uh, of these films. Um, they, they really dig deep uh, throughout the entire series, which makes it uh, so amazing. And there are moments where you can watch uh, from the first movie that suddenly make an appearance in the second film. Uh, and you kind of go, oh, yes, I remember that. Uh, and, and it's great attention to detail like that. Also has one of my favorite, the, the sequel uh, gets me one of my favorite trivia questions to ask. And that is, what is the birth date of Vito Corleone? And it December is mentioned 7. December 7th because the <laughs> the Japanese had the nerve uh, to bomb the U.S. That's on true. Pop's That's birthday. true. Pop's birthday. And it's right there at the end. And you just kind of go, oh. And I think my wife actually like calculated it out as to how old Vito Corleone uh, would have been and therefore was able to pick out the birth date uh, mm-hmm. completely, which is kind of awesome. But uh, well, yeah, no, it's I've, an amazing film. So mm-hmm. I found it interesting that they filmed the final scene of Godfather two during they were filming of the first movie because they had to do it then because everyone was, if you saw the second movie, everyone had aged in the three or four years between the filming. Everyone was the age they were in the first movie. And the, you know, even, you know, the, the, you had Sonny, you had Abe Vigoda who always looks the same, but you had, but you also had, you know, Robert Duvall, who had hair in the first movie, and he was already starting to lose it in the second. And it was just, and Michael looked, you know, so much just younger, like he did in the first movie and everything. So it was just, it was interesting that they had planned it that far in advance that they were going to do the two. So I, I found it fascinating. And like Ashley said, the music is wow. And yeah. just the incidental music, the main theme, you know, as this, because even when they have the logo and everything to start, you know, the Paramount and everything, it's all silent. And then all of a sudden you hear like the, the set, the, you know, the music and it's just like chills and goosebumps. It's really, really well done. And, you know, and every, every scene in this is just so it's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful, horrific film, you could say. And it's Americana at its best, if you put it that way. So it's pretty cool because, you know, you it's the American dream turned sideways in a lot of ways. And yeah, so... I don't know if I'd call it at its best. <laughs> I, it I know what you mean, you though. look at it, Mr. I Blake. know what you mean. It certainly, it certainly has taken on i think outside of america an iconic you know a lot of people feel like that that this is america even though it like a lot of it takes place in you know italy um but uh um yeah you know it's plus or minuses uh because because of this movie i think a lot of films take a lot of things take shortcuts by referring to this movie and and you know this the stereotypes it perpetuates the stereotypes of Italian Americans. Uh, I, I would say that in some ways it's probably difficult for them to, to reconcile uh, themselves against this movie. 
because it's so popular everybody thinks oh if you're an italian-american you must be part of the mafia right like like it's just and this movie really sort of says yeah 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 you are um uh, or if you're not you will be pulled in at some point but that's not to diminish the movie in any way uh that first movie like i said i i i hold it up in high regard um you know it 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 among like four or five other movies, I think uh, signals uh, Coppola as one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. Uh, you know, um, this is not his only shot. I mean, he does, this is not by far, not his, I don't even know. Is it his best film? The uh, first one, probably. You know, I mean, it's hard to argue. For me, it's hard to argue against Apocalypse Now. Uh, you know, certainly better than Peggy Sue Got Married, uh, which I like, but hey. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, you know, I think prior to this, he made Patton. So it wasn't like this was out of the blue. I think he got an Academy Award for Patton as well. Um, so... Um, so a great movie overall, definitely recommended, right, everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very right. much so. <laughs> At least one and two are recommended. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, you know, the debate will continue on on the rest. <laughs> but um, I think that's uh, that should wrap up our conversation about The Godfather. I think it was uh, really compelling. I think we we dove about as deep as we could. Uh, in this time allowed so uh, thanks guys Uh, we will be right back uh, to close out the show Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the Venture Brothers being canceled. So, as many of you have heard, the Venture Brothers was canceled by Adult Swim. This show has always been a fan favorite, but with seasons taking longer and longer to be made and years between the seasons, I can say I'm not surprised, but I'm also, I am kind of surprised. We live in an era where if you take one to two years to create a season for a show, your fan base does start to move on to other franchises. While the Venture Brothers did keep a very strong fan base, I could see why Adult Swim would cancel it. To be able to use the money that they used on the Venture Brothers to create more shows that don't take as long to get out. So they're getting more for their money. And from what I've heard, the Venture Brothers was really costly to make. Also, who knows, another company may pick the show up, or they may work out a way to air it online? I don't know. Adult Swim did make some tweets that they were still in talks about trying to keep the show going. So who knows? I could see, like, HBO Max or someone else wanting to throw their hat in for it as well, because it is a very well-established, liked show, but the time it takes to create it may be a finalizing factor. 
I will be sad that we won't get any closure to last season since that was a lot of fun and we got a big bombshell. So after years of buildup for it, we won't really get any payoff and that kind of sucks. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. And so that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us here tonight. Of course, let's thank our movie folks for being here. Ashley, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I The Godfather is such a great movie, and I really enjoyed talking about it with all of you. Oh, it was a ton of fun, and we probably could have kept on going. You know, we could have actually even had a series of podcasts on this one. Oh, um, for sure. And, you know, all the little subplots. I'm sure we missed tons. So definitely, we definitely could go back and talk about that. Anything you want to shout out about? I just wanted to uh, shout out about how excited I was to be a part of my first virtual Dragon Con panels. I had just such a fun time and it was really cool to say that I was a part of it Um when I started blogging and podcasting, if you told me that I would get to be on like a virtual Dragon Con panel, I probably would have run away terrified. But it was such a cool experience for me. And um, I hope to go to Dragon Con in person again someday. But it was nice having this virtual programming. So definitely go check it out. There's lots of great stuff out there. Oh, most definitely agree with that. And it was great having you as part of two different panels that we were doing. It was a lot of fun. And Alex... You were part of Dragon Con too. I was, and I stand by my statement to Ashley. If she ever comes back down to Atlanta for Dragon Con, I will also come to Dragon Con. So. Oh, that's awesome. That is really good. And we're going to get that in writing, right? So we can mm-hmm. hold you to it. it. He's recording. Oh, I know. So it's fine. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I record everything anyway. So, and that goes into the black <laughs> vault. So it's good. <laughs> it's good. So, anything you want to shout out about, my friend? Um, I honestly, yeah, yeah. Um, 20 years ago, uh, this very weekend that we recorded, uh, I got, I went on my first, my last first date, uh, with my, with my soon to be beautiful wife. Um, and we've been together for 20 years now. And honestly, if I ever thought for a moment that I'd find anybody who would put up with me for 20 years, I would have been shocked. Um, but she's amazing and fantastic. And anybody who's met her knows just how incredible she is. So, uh, Tally, I love you. And thank you for 20 amazing years. Perfect. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, sir. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. I'm shocked we're still talking after all the talking we did at Dragon Con. <laughs> we did do a lot of that for sure. Um, and it was not, you know, it, it it's kind of uh, 
I guess fortuitive that, you know, we're, it was virtual this year because there's no way I could have fit in the Godfather saga uh, if while Dragon Con was going on. So oh, hell no. Hell that, no. Would have, that would have been extremely difficult. So it was uh, much more interesting to do that um, uh, this time. And uh, on note of Dragon Con, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, I'm extremely thankful to be a participant of many, many, many panels. Uh, but I got to give a special shout out to Jamie Reeves and Tony and all the folks at the comics and pop art area um, for their assistance and their um, allowing me to do two of the best panels that I've ever been a part of. One was uh, my uh, the fifth actually annual Tiki Pop panel uh, with the crew we have that does, does that is having a lot of fun still. Uh, it's become, I've been told it's become a, tra- a Dragon Con tradition, which means the world to me. Uh, the fact that it's, uh, that people look forward to it. So I'm thankful for that. And that will be available on my YouTube channel pretty soon. Um, and then uh, the panel that I got to do honoring Denny O'Neill, who we got to do, we got to honor him on an episode, a past episode of our station one. And I appreciated that, but being part of the, having to moderate that panel with uh, the likes of Paul Levitz, Brian Augustine, Charlie Coachman, and uh, Howard Chaikin. Uh, Andrew Gaska was part of that too. He helped make that happen. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. That was an amazing experience. I will never forget. And it was great to be part of that. So thank you for Dragon Con. It's, it, Dragon Con allows me to do these opportunities and I am forever grateful for the convention for that. That is awesome. You did a great, great job on the panel for Denny O'Neill. I watched it the other day and thank you. thumbs up, my friend. You handled yourself quite well. And if it was me talking to these guys, I'd be going, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, it was difficult not to, not to geek out a couple times. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. So I would be going enough talking about Denny. What about American flag? I'd love to talk to you about that, you know, stuff like that. Or, you know, it was, it was awesome. You did a great, great job. You really yeah. did. I think we should have made it clear to Howard Chicken. Not that it would have mattered, but I think we should have made it clear that he couldn't curse because that was full of bleeps. <laughs> Look at our interview last week with Larry. So you do understand. <laughs> so I want to do a quick shout out. I've been seeing other podcasts. That's right, folks. I have popped up on another podcast. I was on the Con, the Con Guy Happy Hour podcast. And I was there talking all about Dragon Con. Surprise, surprise. And had a great, great time. I enjoyed talking to the hosts of the show. They were great guys. Um, it was actually, it's out already. You can go to thekonguy.com and look at their site. They've got different cons they go to all up and down usually the west coast but they've been out to dragon con once or twice so they wanted to talk to me of all people so it was a lot of fun we had a great great time uh talking to them and you know we'll have probably have them up on our show to be put into the geek seat real quick soon so it's always nice having a new victim for the geek seat. And speaking of that, if you do want to join us and be part of the show and take a shot at the geek seat, please write us at earthstation one at esonetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. We don't say it enough, but please folks go up and rate us up on your social media, up on, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts on your media player, 
you know, we would love to have a reviews. We would love to have you, you know, give us five stars or as Gary Mitchell likes to say for Dragon Con, give us five sarcastic stars if you don't like us. So it's always a great, great honor for us if you guys could do that for us. That's how other people find out about us. But, you know, we also have up on social media. We're up on Instagram, Twitter. And, of course, Facebook is our main hub. And we have a great uh, group of ESO network people up there. Just find the ESO network group. We're over way over a thousand people now in the group and we are just growing and growing and want to keep on growing folks. This is how everyone here finds us and we have great news, great information. And, you know, it also is how you find out if about being on the podcast and not just our station one, but any of the other ESO network shows. It's awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. Speaking of appreciating you guys, we are going to talk about another family next week. We are talking about the Umbrella Academy next week. It is going to be a ton of fun to dive in with both feet and look at a very dysfunctional family. You thought the Corey Lone family was bad? Oh, man. Wait till you meet the Hargroves family. That is going to even be more twisted. But until then, my name is Mike Faber. On behalf of myself, Alex Autry, Ashley Pauls, and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, we will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.